Welcome to the Spirited Advocate Podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Now your host, Chris Swangard. Welcome to the Spirited Advocate Podcast, conversations with people who make the spirits industry so much more than what's in your glass. I'm Chris Swanger, the President and CEO of the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. Today, we're celebrating a milestone as we mark Discus's 50th anniversary. To help us toast this occasion, I'm delighted to be joined by Jim Breither, an industry veteran with more than 30 plus years of experience in the beverage alcohol industry. Jim has had an extremely impressive career, including his 17-year tenure at Brown Foreman, where he was responsible for the company's spirits and wide business in more than 140 countries around the globe. He also served as the chief operating officer, former roles including Seagram Classics Wine Company, Berenger Vineyards, and most recently, First Beverage Group, along with a number of wine and spirits advisory boards. In this episode, Jim will share his insights on the industry's evolution over the last few decades, the exciting opportunities that lie ahead, and the different policy accomplishments that led to historic milestones for the spirits industry. Welcome, Jim Breither. Thank you very much for joining us for this special episode of the Spirited Advocate podcast, where we're celebrating Discus's 50th year anniversary, and you have played a prominent part of really making history on behalf of the industry. So as we get this party started, we're going to celebrate first and foremost with some old Forrester and a special toast to Jim. And a special toast, obviously, to the Distilled Spirits Council. Jim, congratulations and thank you for your leadership. And let me also toast Chris with a bottle of Old Forster, the founding brand of Brown Foreman, a single barrel that was bottled by the chairman, Campbell Brown, that I was fortunate enough to get a couple bottles of. Not bad, not bad. Okay, so brilliant whiskey, by the way, everybody. Old Forster, you can't go wrong. Okay, so Jim, let's step back 50 years for a little bit of a history lesson. This year in 1973, three organizations came together, the Bourbon Institute, the Distilled Spirits Institute, and the Licensed Beverage Industries, and it came together to form the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. I know there's a lot of ties with the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States and Brown Foreman. And Owsley Brown, can you share a little bit of that history? Sure, Chris. I think one of the things to do is quickly step back to 1933 and the repeal of Prohibition. And the spirits industry, and particularly leaders like Owsley Brown I, who was the CEO and president of Brown Foreman, established the Distilled Spirits Institute in 1933. And Owsley served as the first president. And you fast forward 40 years, we're now at 1973. The industry takes an opportunity to, as you just mentioned, consolidate two other entities into the Distilled Spirits Council, which has formed the basis of an organization that represents the entire spirits industry in the United States. Really amazing. And Brown Foreman, such an amazing company with over 150 plus years of history. 
Can you talk about your experience leading Brown Foreman's spirits and wine business across the globe and in the United States as well? What were some of the biggest challenges and opportunities that you encountered in that role? Well, I joined Brown Foreman in 1994, and obviously the company had been a business a few years before that. And my experience prior to 1994 had been principally in North America. And then, in, as you mentioned, in 2003, when I became the chief operating officer, I had responsibility for the entire globe. And I would say the greatest challenge was being exposed to and then understanding the different market structures around the world. We're very fortunate in the United States to have a three-tier distribution system that is very structured, highly regulated, and quite frankly, I think the American consumer has more access to beverages, whether that be wine, beer, or spirits, than any other country in the world. So it was really the challenge was understanding these diverse market structures around the world and adapting our route to market to those different structures. I would also say that there was a great deal of foundational work done by previous leaders at Brown Foreman starting in the 70s with expanding Jack Daniels around the world. And it's interesting that in 1979, the company purchased Southern Comfort. And the sole purpose of that acquisition was not the United States, but Southern Comfort had a global footprint that enabled not only Southern Comfort for Jack Daniels to expand its global distribution. And so there has been, I would say, a long-term effort at Brown Foreman in terms of growing not only in North America, but internationally. And a great deal of, of progress was made starting really in the 90s. The rest is history, so to speak, what's taken place over the last 15 years. No, no doubt. And uh, it's such an exciting time for the industry at this point. So you've seen all sides of the spirit sector, obviously. What role do you think a trade association like Discus plays in promoting the interests of the industry? And why do you think Discus has played a critical role and supported the distilled spirits industry over the past 50 years? Well, I think it's interesting, Chris. I think we can take a look at 1919 to 1933 and say those 14 years didn't work too well. And accordingly, a organization like Discus is extremely important, if for no other reason than to establish and promote a code of conduct within the industry and, if you will, operating behaviors. As you take a look at Discus, it also ensures a level playing field, both domestically, but as well internationally in taking on challenges of access to markets internationally. You know, the third thing is, is because it's a highly regulated industry, involvement, engagement with state and federal government on many levels, be that taxation, access to market, responsible consumption, dietary guidelines, and all of those things, throw in the blue laws too, that Discus has done an exceptional job over the last I would say 30 years of removing the blue laws from the landscape. So one of the key aspects is that Discus is an organization, a structured organization and an integrated organization that interfaces with federal and state officials on a daily basis, informing elected officials what's happening and trends in the spirits industry. And as importantly, keeping members of Discus and the industry informed of trends and what's going on on a state-by-state -state basis, as well as down at the federal level. 
And then lastly, I think there's, particularly in today's era of social media, that the communication function of an organization like Discus is incredibly important, both in terms of responding to negative commentary that may be taking place, but also the opportunity to reinforce positive things that are taking place with the spirits industry. So as I looked at it and look at it today, I'm not sure how a distilled spirits or beverage alcohol industry functions without a trade association. Thank you for that. And could you tell us a little bit about your experience serving as chairman of Discus three times? And what do you think are some of the most significant accomplishments that Discus has achieved during that time? Let me step back again into history and just highlight a couple of transformational events that occurred in the 80s and the 90s. And with the overdrop being that the distilled spirits industry, beginning in the 70s and through the 80s and early 90s, was basically in decline. It was not growing. It was losing market share. And those transformational events, I'll just highlight three. Uh, The first being in 1985, when the Siegel Company initiated a drink as a drink advertising. Highly controversial at the time, right? Extremely controversial, but it basically said alcohol is alcohol. And so that started in 1985. And then in 1991, members of the Distilled Spirits Council took a look at alcohol abuse and said, we need an organization that responds to that. And so a number of the distillers funded, created as a standalone organization, an organization called the Century Council, which as you well know, is the foundation for alcohol responsibility. In 2014, the name was changed and now operates under responsibility.org. And I think the great work over these last three plus decades, the Century Council and now responsibility.org could be a podcast in the future because the work that's been done and the education that's been done, I think is quite impressive. So that's 91. Now let's go to 97 and there starts to be a little tsunami in the industry as Diageo was formed. And then in late 2000, early 2001, they, along with Pernod Ricard, acquire Sigma. And that becomes a transformational event in many respects. But I think from a discus perspective, and now we're getting back to to the question you asked, is that in 1998, Discus was essentially re-energized by some very visionary spirit executives at the time. Eddie Sardinia, Bacardi, George McCarthy at Allied Demec, Mike Cheek at Brown Foreman, and Chuck Phillips at Diageo. And they recognized the value of Discus. And so they elected to hire an individual by the name of Peter Cressy. He brought, if you will, a, a different perspective to the trade association. And in the ensuing period, I would say from 2000 on, I would call that the modernization period of discus. And coincidentally, the growth of the spirits business in the U.S. begins to take off in 2000. And there are a lot of reasons for that as to why that happened. But I think it was principally driven by a vision of discus that the spirits industry could grow market share and not grow market share essentially by volume, but grow market share by drinking better. And that was the emphasis. And then consistent with that, it 
enhance, I guess, investment in socially responsible consumption and place teeth in the code. And then we get in now to the television advertising and those things that begin to take place. So as I say, you know, there were some transformational things that took place in the mid-80s through the 90s. And then the modernization, as I like to characterize it, discus commencing in 2000 with the hiring of Peter Cressy and his vision and the vision of the spirit companies at that time. I had the privilege of being affiliated with Discus at the time as a member company and uh, got to watch all of that transformation. The irony of it, Jim, is in 1991, when those two principal events took place, those were the last two times the distilled spirits industry was imposed with a federal excise tax increase. And that didn't help the industry either. It contributed to its downward spiral to some degree. But under the leadership of the likes of you and George McCarthy and Chuck Phillips at the time and Mike Cheek and so forth, Eddie Sardinia with Bacardi, you know, helped with the vision and support of Discus and the hiring of Dr. Peter Cressy really turned things around. Jim, could you talk about some of the modernization efforts that Discus undertook under your leadership and how that had an impact on the industry? Let's step back in history and just kind of paint the landscape. And I think it's largely forgotten by most that the spirits industry voluntarily banned radio advertising in 1936. And then as this new vehicle came on the scene, banned television advertising. 1948, we all, particularly people in my age and generation, all remember the little screen, the black and white TV, and then that test pattern coming on when the stations went off the air at night. But anyway, is that, you know, Discus began a push to, if you will, normalize spirit consumption, socially responsible spirit consumption. They place teeth in the advertising code, particularly in terms of demographic, and not to get into all the specifics, but it will suffice to say that the Discus advertising code for advertising and particularly television advertising had a much higher threshold of adult consumers watching that particular show or channel at the time than any other beverage alcohol segment did. And so we took the high road and it was really emphasizing spirits, cocktails as part of a balanced lifestyle. And one can argue that that was also the beginning of the creation of bartenders moving out from behind the bar to become mixologists. And there's a whole careers now in terms of people who take innovation and creativity to spirits and in terms of cocktails. And in fact, I think, Bruce, you've actually had on the podcast at some point a a person who started behind the bar, mixologist, and then went on to form a very successful business. So, you know, that was the beginning of a transformation, if you will, to positioning spirits, drinking better, part of a balanced lifestyle. It was also a push for equal access in terms of not only access to advertising, but in terms of points of distribution. One of the ways of addressing that started in 1996 when there was this little local television station in Corpus Christi that ran some television ads. And fast forward to 2002 when NBC really, if you will, punched a hole in the dam and began advertising, all of which was done under the Discus Advertising Code of Conduct and, you know, a very rigid set of specifications that 
you could run a commercial, but you could only run it when the adult population viewing that particular show was above a certain percentage. And if I recall, it was either 70 or 75 percent, may have even been higher, 80 percent. And no other beverage alcohol segment had anywhere close to that type of rigid specification. So that began, if you will, the opening up of spirits as I would say a lifestyle. And that has gone on unabated today, driven by two things. One is bourbon in the country and also tequila, both of which are highly mixable and both of which make incredible cocktails. And that has instilled an excitement in the industry that frankly, I don't think we've ever seen. And that is all the craft distillers and the innovation, not only of the larger distillers, but the innovation and creativity that the craft distillers have brought to the spirit segment. It's created an era of excitement, of creativity, of exploration, and the consumer has been the beneficiary of, of all of this. No doubt about it. And Jim, during that time, what change is always hard within any industry because change kind of makes people uncomfortable. And with Discus's longstanding, strong recognition and support of the three-tier system, sometimes these modernization efforts did inspire maybe some anxiety at times. You know, always, always being guided by a clear line of sight on social responsibility standards. But could you elaborate a little bit on that? And how did Discus overcome some of the challenges that ultimately as Discus was pointed towards a modernization effort, it really benefited everybody in the industry as a result. Correct. Chris, I think the answer to that is pretty simple, is that Discus, under the leadership of Peter Cressy, his team, as well as the members of Discus, took a very analytical approach. And that was, it wasn't generalized. It was very focused. It was very cognizant of underage drinking, and that's where the Central Council Responsibility.org and their effort, and Discus had similar efforts in that area. So I think there was a recognition, as you just discussed, as a transformational event causes concern. And Discus walked a very narrow path and didn't deviate, nor did it allow any deviation from that path. And that's consistent today is that the members of Discus are very responsible in their, their entire marketing approach and in their entire responsibility approach. And I think all the members of Discus should be complimented for the efforts that they place in that area, as well as, quite frankly, the money that they spend to be, if you will, compliant and recognize societal opportunities as well as issues. No doubt, a lady by the name of Mary Berizzato with Brown Foreman, who's been long and a great leader, has played a prominent role working with Discus on the code of advertising and so forth. And I know you would remember that well. And no doubt, the efforts by the industry, the commitment to social responsibility, fighting against underage drinking and drunk driving and all that has been a positive enabler in the industry's efforts to normalize. So I know you were there because I was sitting at a back table watching. Looking to grow your brands? Get the brands in front of more than 200,000 bar, restaurant, and retail buyers with Provi. 
the largest e-commerce marketplace for beverage alcohol. Brands of all sizes use Provi to market their beer, wine, and spirits to capture the awareness of over 200,000 trade buyers who use Provi's marketplace to discover and purchase wholesale products online. Showcase your products in the marketplace, tell the brand story, drive conversation with high intent buyers, and access B2B purchasing insights all in one place. Get with Provi, a proud partner member of the Distilled Spirits Council. To learn more, check out www.provi.com forward slash discus, D-I-S-C-U-S. You know, our industry, such a rich heritage, even dating back to George Washington, one of our nation's first distillers. Can you walk the listeners through, and you are in the thick of this, Jim, with your leadership and Dr. Cressy as well. Can you walk us through the discus relationship with our friends at Mount Vernon? Well, it's an interesting story, you know, and sometimes chance offers the opportunity. Is Mount Vernon was undergoing archaeological studies and unbeknownst to a lot of people and was looking, everyone knew that George Washington was a large distiller at Mount Vernon, and uh, no one could find evidence of the distillery. And a docent at Mount Vernon was aware that they had found the foundation, and the docent happened to be friends of Owsley and Christy Brown, and Owsley was the chair and CEO of Brown Foreman at the time, and the docent called them, and then they got a hold of Michael Crutcher, who was our general counsel, and that stimulated the involvement of Brown Foreman with Mount Vernon. And then, of course, all the members of Discus were excited about the discovery. And that started the long-standing relationship with Mount Vernon and with General George Washington and then later to become President Washington. So it's a wonderful story. And it's a wonderful story today for people who visit Mount Vernon and, and see the distillery and get a sense of life you know, back in the 1700s. Yeah, with the grist mill and our friend Steve Bayshore, who's the mass distiller over there. It's beautiful. And again, thanks to Brown Foreman's leadership, yours and Peter Cressy's leadership. I remember when this came before the Discus Board of Directors and everybody was just so excited with the opportunity. You know, you've been involved with a lot of different organizations and you've already mentioned the Century Council at the time and responsibility.org and the important role that it's played. Can you discuss how the Century Council not only came to be, you've already kind of mentioned that, but really has played a leading role on responsibility efforts. And under your leadership, the big issue of 0.08 came up. And both Discus and the Century Council played a leading role with working with the traffic safety sector to make efforts to reduce drunk driving at the time. You know, what's also worthwhile noting is that those efforts over the years, if you will, created an environment where there has been a decline in fatalities and drunk driving. So it has been a very solid effort. So with respect to 0.08, there certainly was an understanding within Discus membership that we needed to move there. There was great rationale for it along with the Century Council, who had done a lot of research and analytics, 
There was also agreement. And that was a transformational event for an organization and the beverage alcohol business to voluntarily endorse and move to 0.08, recognizing that many were concerned that this was a slippery slope, would damage the industry, would cause a retraction of volumes, none of which occurred. And I think what is evident today is it was the beginning of a transformation on how not only producers, distillers, but more importantly, consumers addressed drinking and driving. And today in the current generation, you have designated drivers, you have people taking Uber, and there is a much more responsible approach to consumption of alcohol today than existed 50, 60 years ago. And I think it will only continue to improve with the continued efforts of organizations like Responsibility.org who have this as one of their pillars that they focus on. So I think the future is bright. I think it's also safe to say that we will never be able to say uh, the job's completed, that we will always continue to reinforce education, adapt to changes in society, and then reinforce that education and communication again. But I think it's one of the hallmarks, if you will, of responsibility.org and Discus in terms of what's happened with responsible consumption today. Absolutely. Discus as well has gone through a lot of change over the past few years, trying to lead and adapt, recover from the pandemic and all the challenges associated with that. Can you talk about some of the changes you've seen recently within the industry and Discus and your views on how the industry has evolved with the changing times? I'll focus on one, and, you know, this from my seat in the left field bleachers, you know, having been retired now for 13 years. But I think one of the most interesting changes is the number of producers of distilled spirits today and craft distillers across a wide range of of distilled spirit. And I think one of the things that you and the Discus team are to be complimented on is the engagement that started, frankly, on a smaller scale, probably back in 2009, 2010, reaching out to the smaller producers, but under your leadership, this engagement of the smaller producers and having them be part of the industry as opposed to on the outside looking in and therefore being contributors. I think is very beneficial. I've always felt that that was one of the strengths, frankly, of the Wine Institute and the number of small producers the Wine Institute has enjoyed for many, many years. And I think that only strengthens discus, makes it a common man that can get involved as opposed to a uh, large corporation. And the individual on the street can be engaged and involved and have a voice. That's certainly one of the things that I think discus and the transformation is taking place. Secondly, is that, you know, the battles on Capitol Hill will continue. And I think as discus continues to respond to those challenges and having additional voices from the craft producers, et cetera, enhances the uh, voice. I think also the expansion of membership in Discus has been very valuable and at the end of the day gives Discus a louder voice. That's on one side. Now, the other side is, is, you know, Discus has battled tariffs. We got dragged into, and that's always a difficult position. And 
you know, the voice that discus brought to the whole tariff battle, you know, for everyone, whether you were a small producer or a large producer, because there were many small producers of distilled spirits whose business suddenly evaporated with the tariff. And so I think of discus being able to, to respond to those type of challenges is once again, a strength of an organization like discus and why a discus trade association is so valuable to anyone involved in distilled spirits at any level. It doesn't matter whether you're producing it, whether you're distributing it, or whether you're selling it. You know, Discus reaches across all of those. And I guess one of the things that I would also say that I think has been a hallmark in that regard is that the members of Discus are fierce competitors on the street. You know, it's hand-to-hand combat on the street, but the members of Discus always find common ground in terms of what steps the industry should take to continue to strengthen the overall spirits industry to broaden access and market access for all producers. So I think that's something that Discus is able to accomplish that could not be accomplished without a trade association like Discus. Absolutely. Over the past decade, distilled spirits have gained pretty significant market share against other segments of the beverage alcohol marketplace. I mean, clearly consumers are more interested in premium spirits. The rise in premiumization has gone up. We recently reported a historical milestone for spirits where we surpassed our friends in beer and market share on revenue. Did you see this trend coming while you were the chair of Discus at the time? I guess the short answer is no. <laughs> but you would worked on, yeah, you, you, Dr. Cressy helped embark on that path for Discus to lead and modernize, right? There's no question about that, Chris, but the hill we were climbing was rather steep and uh, quite high. And I think that's one of the things that frankly brings a smile to my face is to look at the success of the spirits industry, you know, over the last 15 years has just been absolutely uh, phenomenal. You know, your question reminds me of when Brown Foreman created Woodford Reserve, and it's a the humorous story. I always said that the late chairman, Owsley Brand, had an epiphany while he was taking a shower and one day said, you know, I think there's going to be a, uh, an ultra premium urban business. So what does Brown Foreman do in 1990 or 91, I, I, 92, it may have been, uh, shortly before I arrived, the company goes back and repurchases a small distillery that they had sold in the 60s because they didn't need the excess capacity, and that's Woodford Reserve. So Owsley may have seen it coming. (laughs) I'm not sure a lot of us shared that same vision. And certainly for those who had the vision, I don't think they painted a panoramic picture that we see today of distilled spirits and and particularly bourbon in the U.S. And, you know, the nice thing is, is that with the distilled spirits industry is there's so many avenues you can go down. I mean, you have vodka, you have gin, you have tequila, you have bourbon, you have scotch, you have Irish. You name it, it's a panoply of opportunities. It's a large mural. Jim, what do you see are the biggest challenges for the industry going forward? I think an ongoing challenge for the industry will always be ensuring responsible marketing and therefore responsible consumption. That is is not going to change. That will always be, if you will, one of your tasks, one of your charters is to ensure that the industry is walking down that very narrow line and not deviating. 
You know, the second is that I think there will be forthcoming uh, increased pressure given the economic situation in the U.S. today is uh, taxation is going to be on the minds of, of everyone and it'll be on the minds of everyone in the beverage alcohol industry, you know, wine, beer, and spirits. And, you know, I would hope that the three segments are aligned and how to approach that. The other is that I would hate to see the three-tier system in the U.S. minimized. And I felt very strongly about that, particularly having been involved internationally for many years. The structure we have in the U.S. is good for everyone. And it's also good from a regulatory standpoint. It provides great access to beverage alcohol, whether that be wine, beer, or spirits in the United States. And it also, from a quantitative standpoint, an analytic standpoint, we have more data in this country about consumption. Who's drinking? Where are they drinking it? At what time are they drinking it? How's it getting there in the supply chain? And then lastly, in today's market, the ability to manage increased costs in the beverage industry, in the beverage alcohol industry, is going to be paramount. And I don't see that subsiding. And therefore, I would say it's good to be retired and I don't have to deal with that. But uh, uh, that's a critical uh, situation for all producers these days. Yeah, no doubt, Jim. When times are good, probably the worst thing you could do is become complacent right? There are challenges and headwinds coming towards our industry and everybody's engagement, advocacy, and protecting the industry is a team sport. And that's why we've worked really hard to galvanize the craft community and really have discus play a positive role in trying to unite the supplier tier so we can continue to tackle those headwinds that are no doubt around the corner. Okay, so this is a fun question. If you could have a drink with anyone, past or present, who would that person be? Uh, <laughs> there are many people I'd, I'd like, but you know, it's being a history buff and having been involved with a discus and therefore Mount Vernon, I'd love to sit down with General George Washington and just kind of pick his brain as you think about the political environment that we have today. One could argue that it wasn't much better back in 1776 and 1783 and 1789. So I think someone who had the capacity and the leadership ability to stay calm and focused on achieving an objective, and at the same time having a robust social life, and was generally well liked, you know, by everyone except those who wanted his role. He'd be fascinating to me. You know, he grew up in a period of great change. We talk about the change in our life today from one generation to another. George Washington experienced that. And I'd love to get the inside story, I guess. Not what's been written about him, but the inside story. I'd love to know how much of his whiskey he was drinking to stay warm in Valley Forge that winter. <laughs> sure. I am sure. So well, Jim Breither, thank you. Look, on behalf of the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States and the greater industry, with your leadership and fortitude in time with the industry, it has really contributed to the success of Discus over the years, 
the strengthening of the three-tier system, which is critical as you've outlined. When I travel overseas, people tell me all the time, the U.S. market is the best marketplace in the world for our great industry. And it's really due to the leadership and fortitude of individuals like yourself. So on behalf of Discus, a second cheers to you. And thank you very much for joining us to celebrate Discus's 50th year anniversary. Well, it's an exciting time. Yep. Here too, 50 years. 50 years. That's all for today's episode of the Spirited Advocate podcast. Thanks to our guest, Jim Breither, for sharing his insights on Discus's 50th year anniversary and the policies that have helped shape and advance the distilled spirits industry. The future's looking bright. And for that, we say cheers into the next 50 years of promoting and growing our great industry. I'd also like to thank you all for listening in. And if you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I'm Chris Swanger, and this has been the Spirited Advocate Podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. 